Season 4, Episode 13 of the Blackhawks Raycast. Coming to you live from the Puck Hockey Studios and brought to you by Puck Hockey, our founding and official sponsor since 2017. Head over to PUCKHCKY.com, H-C-K-Y, and check out the latest in hockey-themed apparel and gear. However, they missed out on doing this one, the new Colorado, Ring Colorado hoodies. But that's okay. We still love those guys. Um, really cool stuff, beautifully designed and well-made and use that, the rink, T-H-E-R-I-N-K discount code and get 10% off anything you buy. I'm your host for tonight's festivities, John Jekyll, better known across the interwebs as JJ or that Jekyll guy. With me tonight, special guest from Parts Unknown is my partner in this wacky veteran known as the rink and now the host of the Seattle Kraken cast, a wholly owned subsidiary of the rink.com, Jeff Osborne, also known as Gatekeeper. Hello, everyone. I figured if we were having a funeral, who better to attend? <laughs> uh, um, and joining us tonight are two of the usual suspects. Uh, Sean Fitzgerald, how are you, my friend? I am doing well. I am doing well. Uh, Got uh, to put a nice little bow on the season tonight. Tonight's hat, because uh, everybody's about the Colorado lately. I've got a Colorado Rockies hockey hat. It says Rockies on the back here. I um, went through a phase where I tried to buy uh, former NHL franchises. So I have a Rockies, Quebec Nordiques, and a California Golden Seals in this a format. Phase where I tried to buy uh, former NHL franchises. Ooh, busting out the Golden Seals. Nice. Yep. Uh, so, if, so in the offseason, I'll wear one. Nice. Um, good to know, Sean. Thanks for sharing. Um, course, also joining always. us tonight from uh, the, uh, the the wilds of Massachusetts is our good friend Andy Campbell. Andy, what is happening? Hey, everybody. Yep, I'm here for just another goodbye to another fantastic Blackhawk season. Um, I know we're all ready to dissect this. I'm, I'm entering the hat game tonight, and I'm trying to upstage all of you and Shawnee with my Chicago Bears draft hat. Uh, which is a is a gift from Patrick Fryermuth. Nice Brooks School alum, Penn State, fifty uh, fifth overall pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers from Merrimack, Massachusetts, who gave his coach to give me this hat because he has all of his draft hats sitting around in his house. He said, "Hey, give the Bears one to Campbell; he'll love it." Nice. So uh, here we go. Congrats, Pat, and congrats, Blackhawks. I was going to ask you if you got that from Justin Fields. <laughs> but uh, Pat Fryermuth will do. That's pretty cool. That yeah. is pretty sweet. Um, so tonight, gents, and I use that term loosely, we're going to wrap up the Hawks regular season with some robust discussion around whether the glass is half full or half empty. Player evaluations and the importance of five-on-five play for a would-be playoff team. Um, any of you who sauntered over to the rink today to look at uh, my season wrap-up article, um, you would have seen a rather lengthy dissertation on the importance of five-on-five play and uh, where the Blackhawks um, kind of stand or kind of rank with that key metric. And we will talk more about that. Um, so, but let's get this started and talk about just, you know, big picture, 
Cause there's, you know, it's Twitter is always, always so fun. I mean, no matter what team you follow the positives and the negatives, and especially Blackhawk Twitter, because it really is, it's about 70% sunshine, rainbows, magic unicorns, fairy dust. And it's about 30% like just what the hell are they doing? This is bullshit. <laughs> it's the same old crap. Um, and I think I know where we're going to head out, um, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. So I'm going to start it with you, Andy. Is the team really improving? And it's fair if that's what you, if, you, if, you're, if you're landing there, that's cool. Um, you're just going to have to show your work. Is the team really improving or was the first part of this year more of a lucky illusion? Yep. I'll go with, uh, you know, I'll go with the second point there. Lucky illusion, very favorable early schedule. Um, as Shawnee has said so many times, you know, they got fat on the Detroit's and Columbus's of the world early. Did the team improve? No. Were there some individual performances where guys improved and yeah, maybe some rookies, you know, got a lot of good time and stepped up. Sure. But again, I mean, we're talking about the rookies that played. What are their roles going to be in the future of the Blackhawks and the future of the NHL? And forwards, if you look at the forwards, the guys that are rookies, they're still all bottom six guys in the NHL. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think there was any rookie that really showed up where you're like, that guy's going to be a first line or a second line player on a competing NHL team. Um, and I think on the back end, there's still a lot of question marks. Boquist made some strides. But then every injury is a step back uh, for that kid. And how long is he going to last? Uh, Ian Mitchell, yeah, I think he got a little bit better. He regressed a little bit. And then, you know, I, but I, I think expectations on, her, on him were completely unfair. The organization built him up to be somebody that he might never be capable of being. Uh, yeah, we caught lightning in a bottle with Brandon Hagel. I don't think too many people expended, expected that much out of him. And maybe he'll be a third, fourth line guy that could eventually be a 20 goal scorer, maybe. But again, you don't turn around your franchise on those guys. Um, and then the goaltending situation. I don't think we have any more answers than we did at the beginning of the season. Truly. I mean, I, I do not think a number one emerged at all. Um, you could say it's Lankinen. Yeah, he went out on a high note with, you know, a pretty good performance in his last start. Um, but, you know, as uh, some of our guys on, have said before, you know, ultimately they're going to get a book on this kid and then we'll figure it, we'll figure out how he does. And, you know, he was pretty streaky after that really, really hot start. Subban's not the guy. Delia, it's great that he did well at the end. And Gate, sorry, he's not the guy either. So um, we'll see. I, I'm still not mm -hmm. so so we got a long way to go, Hawk fans. Um, and it's going to be have to be one hell of a summer if they're going to. What do you think, man? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Someone else go. It's going to have to be a hell of a summer. If they we had a little... so. Yeah, we had a little glitch there. Sorry about that, Andy. Oh, no. I thought you'd stopped. Um, Sean, let's, uh, let's, let's hear what you have to say. And we also have a special guest joining us, also from Parts Unknown. Sean, go ahead. Okay. Um, before Aaron gets on and interrupts me, um, <laughs> I would say the team, like I said, like Andy mentioned, they got fat off playing a weaker schedule early. And if you look at it, like they didn't really, they didn't, um, I believe Jimmy Greenfield tweeted it out today that they didn't have a winning record. They didn't beat any winning teams. They didn't beat anybody who had a winning record. They didn't beat any playoff teams. They beat, teams that were worse than them. And that's what you're supposed to do. A positive, I will say, I, I, and Andy didn't leave this or left this one out, 
Maybe he saved it for me. Alex Debrinkit, they were talking about him in the chat the other day. Had a vastly improved season on pace for if it was a full season, he would have scored 50 goals. But also his play off the puck, I thought it wasn't just him cashing in on a red-hot power play. Like, he was playing well off the puck. He had a, a good overall season, I thought, for him. And hopefully it propels him to even higher um, – stardom and things like that because the year before everybody was really down on him and I think it he worked his tail off in the offseason he got better got a little stronger improved his overall game and it showed this year the but overall I think the organization is not much better off um Kirby Doc getting injured I think was a huge blow regardless of if it's if it's short term or not when he got hurt to start the year That was a blow, but then they rushed him back and he got hurt again, which I'm sorry, that was a mistake. And I was saying that well before he came back and got hurt, you don't rush your future guy back in a lost year. Even if he came back later in the year and played less games, that's fine, but you don't rush him back when he's still dealing with pain and a wrist. Wrists are vitally important to hockey players and a wrist injury could be debilitating for the rest of his career. On the back end, I think they got much better. Boquist was getting better until he got hurt. Uh, you don't know. I don't think Collison likes Bodan, so I don't think he's going to be around. Uh, two guys that Gate hates, uh, Zadorov and Riley Stillman, are they're bad. One's more expensive than the other. In terms of goalies, uh, Mario Tarabasi posted an interesting stat. The Blackhawks had three goalies with a save percentage of above .90 but I don't think it was much above 0.90 this year. And I usually league average is about 0.91, 0.915. So that's not good. Um, I think Lankin is maybe a 1B, like everybody's saying, like an anti-Ranta type. You still got to pair him with somebody. So it's not as good as we think it is. I think it's glass half empty. All right. Well, we're so, two, so I'll two, leave it to Mr. Positivity now. Yeah, I, I think we're Gates gonna gonna shift the balance here. Oh, who the hell am I kidding? <laughs> All right, Gate, what do you say? Half empty, half full. I mean, half empty, of course. Uh, back when they were in contention for a playoff spot, I was the same guy who said they're not going to make the playoffs. And ever and you know, a lot of the fans look at me side eyed because of that. Oh, look how well they're playing and this and that. But we've all of us have laid it out, you know, their five on five stats are bad. They're uh, you know, they were scoring at 33% on the power play. And then they went from going 33% in the power play to like scoring under 5% in the power play. And they're, they're uh, you know, their goalie started out hot. Evan Lankinen, he was, he was playing, you know, he, was, he had a 940 save percentage. That's unrealistic for almost any goalie in the NHL, much less a guy who's, you know, a career minor leaguer who had never seen the NHL. Uh, you know, he came out hot and and that's what it was. And then he even out towards the end of the season. Uh <clears throat> yeah, there are some positives as far as you could you could put a lot of these rookies in the lineup and they were gonna get you killed. But that's about where where it ends. It's not that you know uh Philip Kurashev is gonna be, you know. Uh, Calder Trophy candidate or an MVP candidate. Philip Kershaw is going to be a bottom six center or wing. Uh, you, you you go up and down the roster. I mean, uh, 
Brandon Hagel is probably the the best looking prospect from you know the entire season, and even that is like you know at best maybe a third line uh, shutdown guy, energy guy. You throw out there on the PK and things like that, uh, which are players you need in this team. And we've said that before. Like you can't just fill the team with a bunch of skill guys and expect them to be competitive in the playoffs. Uh, Brandon Hagel is, you know, he's a guy who's a, who will help you out. He might be a fourth line player in a, on a playoff team, but he's going to be that guy who's going to go out there and just give it, you know, 110%. And he's going to smash and bang in the corners and he's going to dig pucks out. And he's, he's fast enough to be able to, uh, you know, lead a rush or, or uh, you know, supplement a rush or something like that. So um, that, that was good. You know, I, I like, and hey, I like Brandon Hagel last year, actually. Uh, we saw a little small sample size of like Mike Hardman, which you don't know what he's going to be, but his small sample size looked okay. It looked like you might want to look at him next season as, you know, potentially a player that you might play more often. Uh, but more than that, you can't, none of these guys are, are, are top six players. They're not elite players. Kirby Doc is your closest to that. And he spent the, most of the season on IR. And uh, now he's, you know, he injured the wrist, like Sean was saying, but he's a center. He needs to, he needs to win faceoffs. You need your wrist for that. So uh, Marcus Kruger, JJ's guy was never the same after he had that bad wrist injury. He wasn't. And now you have Kirby doc, who's a second year player who had a bad, very bad wrist injury. He may never be the same. You know, he may have to be a wing for the for the entire, you know, or for most of his career because of this wrist thing. So just blowing it off because he's a young dude and he might heal better than everybody else. That's you can't really do that. It showed at the end of the season. He had tightness. He had he was uncomfortable. That may go away. But why rush him back for that? You know, he, when he's your prized possession, he's your diamond that you have in your system. Uh, and then you rush him back. And, and the defense is, is what it is. I mean it's a bunch of guys out there just doing their best to not get run over game in and game out. Uh, Connor Murphy is, you know, probably played the best, you know, front and back, you know, uh, both sides of the ice overall. Uh, Keith had his ups and his downs, but then you, you're just throwing all these rookies in there. Why? <laughs> okay. Maybe, maybe he's a, a good second pair guy or third pair guy. Uh, is he going to be, you know, your, your, your number two D man, the the jury's still out. You know, we, we, these guys have never seen like three quarters of the NHL. They've seen one quarter of the NHL in a 50 game season. So let's not get too in over our heads on this. Uh, There's something, little things to be positive about, but like, like you guys were saying, there's work to be done. There's work to be done to make this team competitive. And, uh, these guys, all these guys that were on this roster this year, these aren't the guys that are all going to be on the roster when they can be competitive. There's, you're going to have to supplement it with something else. Yep. All right. So we have a, another special guest joining us tonight from uh, the Mile High City. Uh, he calls himself Troll. We call him Aaron Goldschmidt, among other things. Um, Aaron, the question we're addressing here is uh, – whether uh, the Hawks really improved this year or was the first half of the year more of, more of a, a lucky illusion? Well, first off, I wanted to comment on all of the Colorado gear that these guys are wearing. Uh, JJ with the hoodie, 
I see Sean's got a Colorado Rockies hat. Um, plenty, plenty of room on the Avs bandwagon for both of you. Just saying. Um, you know, I, I don't really know what to say about the Blackhawks. What the one thing, the news that came out today of that of the Blackhawks signing Henrik Borgstrom, I wasn't surprised by that. Um, it just made me think of all the years that I've spent at the Pioneers games. And after the game, I'd go down and go to the post game to the locker rooms. And you know who was standing right there it was Mark Eaton talking mm-hmm. to guys like Borgstrom, talking to Mitchell. Um, that guy seemed, yeah, he seems Blake like Kilman. Yeah, he's been having a lot of influence around, you know, who the Hawks are taking, who they're talking to. And, yeah, they've got two pretty big pioneers right now. I, I'm not really sure what happened with him in Florida and why he couldn't crack it, but I think he's a really, really good fit. And I, I see that they could put him on a line with Pat Kane. And, man, if he, he can bury pucks. I'm telling you right now. I don't know. He's not a, really a two-way player, but that guy has serious skill. He's not called the artist for, for no reason. Um, he was incredible in college. You know, maybe it seems like he needs to put some weight on and couldn't figure out the two-way game. It's tough to play for Joel Quinville. Everybody knows that. But, man, what an addition if they can put him on a line with someone like Kane. Um, I think he can have a breakout season. Okay. Um, I, my comment on this is um, I obviously I'm, I'm more in the half-full camp, um, which shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, you know, I think that uh, – as we said, and we, we, we had a show that we pretty much dedicated to this back around late, late February, I think. And we said that, you know, when they hit the, the really tough part of their schedule in March, and Andy, you really hit this, they were going to, you know, that was going to be the crucible by which they would be proven, you know, contenders or pretenders. And it was pretty much proven they were pretenders. I mean, they got just completely destroyed in March. And, um, you know, what happened, the, the regression of the power play, going from second at that time to, I think, ninth or 10th um, ending the season uh, of Kevin Lankinen, who went from like 925 save percentage and 248 goals against to, uh, I think, 909 and um, uh, 302. Um, You know, uh, we'll come back to to Lankinen later on, but I think that, um, and then, you know, the fact that they, they always seem to do pretty well in three on three overtime, um, which frankly, you know, um, means nothing as far as the playoffs. Cause you don't have three on three overtime in the playoffs. It's entertaining as hell in the regular season, but it's where a, a perimeter style team like the Hawks are can really clean up in the regular season. Um, but that kind of team always seems to struggle in the playoffs year after year. Um, and we're going to come back to that topic too, as well later on. And I just think that um, unfortunately, I think, this fan base is so hungry for a resurgence and the, the team and some of the people, some of the enablers in the media are all too willing to throw that red meat out there. Um, And you keep hearing, you know, this guy was great. And this guy was great. And this guy, and what about this guy over here? And yeah, he just needs to work on this and he just needs coaching. But the net effect is yet again, here we are. They're, they're finishing out of the playoffs um, somewhere in the middle of the league and drafting somewhere in the middle of the first round, probably. Yeah. They could luck into a higher pick. I know, but I mean, the end of the day, this rebuild has been going on for four years, not one, four. And really the amount of progress that's been made in that time, there's none. 
There's none. And um, I think the fans at some point, hopefully, it's not going to end until fans stop buying it, literally. Um, so we're going we're gonna to have to see. But um, no, I'm, I'm going more half full. I think I do think I agree with you guys. There's, there's a, a couple of guys at least that we can look at and say, yeah, that guy is the kind of guy we need. And we're going to go into that in a second, too. Um, and I'm actually going to start that off because I'm going to give you, you guys time to think about this one. So let's just jump into that second question. The second question is, of all the rookies, who are two guys that you look at and you say, okay, that guy can be part of a resurgent, much better Blackhawk team in two to three years? And I'm going to start it off, and I'm going to agree with you guys on Hagel. Um, you know, I don't know what exactly Hagel's long-term role is going to be. He's probably not going to be a top six guy, but he is a guy who can play up and down the lineup, I think. And he's versatile and he's responsible. And I think that, um, I think he's, I think he's going to end up being a pretty good five on five player, which is something this team so desperately needs because so many of these young guys that everybody's so over their skis about are guys who really profile wise and in terms of their shortcomings, at least at this point, don't look like good five on five players in the, in the NHL. And I, I'm going to touch on a couple of them too. So one of them is Hagel. The other one's Pia Suter. Um, and I, I think, I think Suter is just, you know, he's well-rounded, he's responsible. He's, he's, he's got, you know, two way game. Um, he's, he's a guy, he's never going to wow you or, you know, make you jump out of your seat with anything, but he does a lot of things pretty well. Um, and he's a responsible, smart hockey player. So those are my two guys that I say, those are the guys in, out of this rookie class that I think, you know, they, they've got something there. The, the rest are all kind of suspect to me to one degree or another, some, some more than others. Uh, Aaron, what do you think? He's thinking. Pass to Sean. <laughs> Sean, what do you think? Who are your two keepers from this rookie class? <laughs> So I'm a big believer in Nicholas Bodan. I mm. think he improved uh, after being sent down to Rockford, uh, despite Jeremy Colleton not liking him. I think his defense did improve. Perhaps he, his ceiling is running your second power play unit, but you're going to need guys like that. So that's one guy that I'm uh, high on. And then another guy, I mean, I don't want to say, uh, the same guys as you, JJ, but Pius Suter is probably a guy. Um, I know Andy's really liked him a lot. Uh, he's played well. He seemed like he could get to the net, score, and I think he's going to be one of the young building blocks that they're going to be able to build on. He's still only 25, so maybe he's around when they're ready to start to be competitive again. So those are those are my two guys. I mean, one on defense, one on offense. That's That's what I'm thinking. Excellent. Excellent thought process. Andy. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I mean, it's, it's hard. I would put those top two, uh, JJ, the same guys that, that you put up there. I would put Suter and, and Hagel, I think is, is certainly, uh, I'd put him at number one. Um, guy plays with his hair on fire. You know, he go he just goes out there and earns it. You know, I think he's, he's the kind of, the kind of athlete that the city really likes. Yeah. Um, and so I'm sure once there are more fans in the building, they'll they'll embrace his his style and his mentality and what's not to like about him. Uh, if you were to ask me, you know, six, eight weeks ago, I would have put Kurashev a lot higher. Um, I think he really tailed off at the end there. And I think it just caught up with him. Uh, I don't know if it was the 
the pace of the games or the condensed schedule, but, you know, he showed up, he had obviously played some hockey in the Swiss league uh, in the fall. And then when the season started, he looked like he had been playing more hockey than everyone else. Uh, simple as that. And then I think it caught up to him. Um, I thought Wyatt Kalanuk did pretty well. I had a lot of doubts about him. Um, I do like his game. He has a lot to work on defensively. Um, at the same time, he did chip in a lot more than I thought he would. Um, so I actually expected him to fail. Uh, so Wyatt, if you're out there, my bad. Um, and Bodan, I, I am a big believer in Bodan because of his composure. Um, you know, I, I do like defensemen that you don't notice very much. I st still think he needs to get a little bit stronger physically. I think he's a good puck mover, but I think he's got an excellent patience in his game. And if he continues to mature and work on his skating, I think that there's a lot of value there. Um, I don't know why Colleton doesn't like him. And I hope that at some point in this conversation during this webcast, we do turn to Jeremy Colleton and talk about okay. whether or not he's the kind of guy that, that the team wants around, particularly when you're bringing up a lot of young and up and coming rookies and you don't relate to them very much because you weren't much of a player yourself and you're awfully quiet and you don't communicate, you know, are they going to buy into you and there, are they going to believe in that? So I want to get after that topic soon, but, but well, let's, uh, let's shift it to gate with the rookies. I want to hear what he has to say. And I have a feeling <laughs> one of, one of them, the first name might begin with a C not sure. Even though he's not technically a rookie who knows. Or maybe he is. Yeah. So um, not technically. <laughs> I agree with you. Yeah. I, I think he's got I think Hershon's got to get stronger this offseason. Um, but he's also a guy that I could see doing it. He seems he seems really, really driven. And uh I could see him doing it. But he's he's a guy who's got to spend some time in the gym and get stronger. Um and put on some functional, some functional muscle mass. Um because I mean, one King of the things said I he was about, very dedicated. Pardon me? Curse him. Derek yeah. King was singing his praises about how dedicated he was. So yeah. I can see him doing that too. Well, if, if you were to go back to the beginning of the season, I don't think any of us would ex have expected Kershev to play in this many games at the NHL level this year. One of the things I love he, about him is he's always, he's always, he's always fighting it out along the wall and he always <laughs> ends up on his butt, you know? So that's, it's like, he's got the will. He just needs the, he just needs to, to add some, some mass and, and, and strengthen his lower body, I think. Um, anyway, Gate, I'm, um, I'm stepping on you and I, I can't wait to hear what you have to say. <laughs> well, I mean, there's only so many rookies to choose, right? I mean, uh, you, you named the best of the crop, which was Hagel and uh, <clears throat> and uh, Suter. Uh, yeah, Suter. Sorry, I had a brain fart. Um, I like Suter because he's he's versatile. He can play. You know, he can play center in the NHL. He's not a he's not you know a minor league center that, that always is going to be playing on the wing. Uh, that's not to say he's going to be a, a center 100% of the time, but uh, he can play center uh, if needed in the NHL. Uh, and uh, Hagel, I talked about him earlier. Like, it's, there's nothing not to like about him. Uh, he's just a guy who goes out there and works hard. He's fast. He's not particularly big, but uh, he plays a, a bigger game than his size. Uh, so, though, I mean, they're, they're the best. Um, this, you know, there was a bit of a surprise with Lankinen. Uh, no one expected Lincoln and Subban or Delia to have the amount of success that Lincoln had, had, even if it was for a short period of time. And he played 940 hockey for the first, we'll say third of the season. 
possibly. So um, that was a surprise because he had never played NHL pro hockey before. He had played in the AHL and he had played over overseas. So for a guy who had never seen NHL players before, really, uh, he did really well. Um, Subban was surprising in the fact that he didn't get himself killed out there. Uh, he was just okay. Uh, when a lot of people thought he was just going to be awful. Uh, and, and me included, because he hadn't shown that he could play good hockey up until he came to Chicago and, and, and put, put together a string of a couple of shutouts and uh, which is, it's fine. You know, he could be probably a backup somewhere, maybe be a, a backup on a, a team that's got, uh, you know, a really good one, like a Tuka Rask or whatever. So I don't know, uh, but those are the, the two best. I mean, the rest, you got Khrushchev, you got, you, you could go up and down the line of all these players that, uh, like I, I mentioned Hardman before, we don't know what he is. The, the small sample size, he looked okay. He looked pretty good. He has size. He goes to the net. He actually you know, made a nice play uh, setting up Mackenzie Antwistle for his first goal. So that was nice. Um, and defense, it's a bunch of 5'11", 170-pound defensemen and, uh, you know, until the end of the season, when Alec Regula came up, uh, it was a bunch of small guys and even Riley Stillman isn't that big. Uh, and you know, I could go on and on about Riley Stillman. These guys know, uh, that I'm not a fan of Riley Stillman or Zadaroff. So you got these big guys who stink and you got these small guys who can't play big. You need some in that middle that are big and can play and, that can mix in with these smaller puck moving guys. Uh, You can't have all one, you know, this isn't NHL 21. You can't have six, five, 11, 160 pound defensemen out there skating around everyone. Cause that's just not how the NHL works. Nope. The big guys in the NHL can skate, they can move. And yeah. So uh, I like Suter and and Hagel because and Suter I like, but he was inconsistent. Hagel was pretty consistent. I think, you know, he was noticeable throughout the season. So. So I'm going to, I'm going to pivot a little bit here. I think we, I think we should jump into Colleton. Um, Cause I think we're going to get some, some debate here. Oh, sorry. Troll is raising his hand. Go ahead, troll. Thank you, JJ. I appreciate you calling on me. Um, three years ago, we covered Blackhawks prospect camp. And what I remember from that was, Kirby Doc was a man among boys, dominated everybody. We all knew that. There were three other names that really just blew us away. There was Brendan Hagel, who was very noticeable, and Mario Tarabasi at that time coined the name Coffee Meets Hagel. Who? So who? <laughs> Mario, who? I don't know what you're talking about. Um the second person was uh, oh, Adam Boquist. Obviously, we put out a viral video of him just dancing around people, but in an environment where no one's trying to take your head off, I think Adam Boquist would be a, a blue chip player too in any case. And then there were two other guys that were very noticeable that were kind of like deep cut players. And one of them is on the team right now. And I think that's Mackenzie Endwistle. I think that that's somebody who could long-term learn from uh, some of the guys on the team, some of the vets and, and like make a spot for himself on the team. I don't know whether that's in the middle six or something, but he's got good size. He can skate. He can create. I think that's, that's a name that I think, you know, could 
definitely make some waves in the next couple of years. And then the other one is, um, gosh, it's slipping from me. Uh, <laughs> Slavin, Josiah Slavin. And he's not up yet, but he's in, in the AHL. And he's had a rough time his first year at CC. But that guy can play. I don't, I don't care what you say. Like when you go to a hockey game and he's playing, it's like he is the one guy that you're watching when he's out there. He moves fast. He's got great vision. And he can finish. My God, that kid can finish. So really excited to, to see him and see what Ed Whistle, Ed Whistle can do. Nice. I like Slavin, too. There's no secret. Um, so let's... Kirby Doc undressed Jake Rycheck and ruined his career. So Nice. At that prospect camp, yeah. I believe. Yes, we we witnessed that. We witnessed the end of Jake Rychek's yeah. career. JJ, before we jump to college, and I just want to make one note that, um, and this is a shout out to the Blackhawks PR staff and Stan Bowman, that we just had an eight or nine minute conversation about impact rookies and the name Ian Mitchell was not mentioned once. So, well, what's it's that interesting. Start? I was going to um, <laughs> actually have a, a, uh, a, um, an ultimate topic, a follow-up topic are who are your two guys that you are really uh, on the fence about? And I think we were going to, I think Mitchell was going to get mentioned a lot and I was going to mention him too, but um, we could, you know, I think we, we did kind of touch on the fact that maybe his stock dropped over the course of the year. And I think Lankinen's did too, for that matter, but we'll talk about that on another show. Um, let's pivot to Colleton because um, I, I'm Andy, I'm hearing some dissatisfaction on your part. And I am hearing a lot of people starting to grouse about the coach now and I think part of that is, um, in my opinion, a little bit of that is, well, we're not getting the results we want, so we'll blame the coach because we're in love with every freaking player. And I, I, I actually see Colleton doing some things that I support. And one of them is sending um, some, some strong messages to players like Dylan Strom, for example. Um, and, you know, the way that he communicates in the media about his players, he never comes out and says anything really um damaging or condemning but it's like it's like things like well he's just he's got to he's got to get a little a little more competitive for those 50 50 pucks etc which is which is a really nice way of saying he's got to work harder you know um so i actually i I, i'm not ready to give up on colin yet because i i i'm firmly in the camp of the talent is not there yet the talent is not as good as people think it is um I don't think Colleton has alienated the, the veterans, which is really remarkable, all things considered. And I, I actually think that the tough love to guys like Ian Mitchell, to, to, to guys like Nicola Baudin, to guys like Dylan Strom, it may or may not work because I don't think it worked for Strom in Arizona either, to be honest. Um, but it, it is the way I think you got to do it. And you, but you just have to do it in a way that's not maybe not quite as harsh as the old school Ken Hitchcock, Mike Keenan type of way. Um, but you got to do it. And, and if they can't, you know, if they can't adjust and grow and, and respond, then the, then the organization has to cut bait on them. So I'm going to land in the camp at Colleton. It's like, I want to, I want to give Colleton another year, but because I, I just don't, th- I think he's been, been dealt a bad hand. And we're going to come back to this on our next topic. The Blackhawks have been terrible in one critical statistics for four years. That's about players. That's not about Colton. Yeah, he's been coached for two or three of those years, but they don't have the players to be the kind of team that they need to be. And we're going to talk about that. So, Andy, I know you're going to disagree with me. You go next. No, not necessarily. I mean, I I wanted to bring it up for conversation because I, you know, what – 
you know, what kind of tipped me off are some of the tweets we've been seeing and saying, well, if Colleton had handled this guy differently and handled that guy differently, you know, I mean, I don't, first of all, I give Colleton no credit for handling Dylan Strom in any way, shape or form. I don't think, you know, there, there's no wizardry to figuring out that Dylan Strom is not a very good hockey player. I mean, I don't like, I don't give anyone props for figuring that out if that's, uh, if that's where we're going. So, you know, I guess if that's the feather in his cap and his coaching career of figuring out that Dylan Strom isn't very good, well, it's not going to be a great scene for him moving forward. Um, you know, I just, I, I guess, it, and I'm just going to bring it back to the Hawks when, when the Hawks did finally figure out that they could make a run around 08, 09, and that's when they sacked Dennis Savard as head coach. And I think the methodology there was they probably felt, well, right now we actually have the tools we need to get the guy. So I, I do think that it, it actually does make sense in some way, shape or form to keep Colleton almost as a placeholder until they have the talent and let him, you know, learn about life and coaching in the NHL. No, he hasn't alienated the vets, you know, no, he's, but I just don't, it's hard to tell if he's a player's coach. You know, the tough love piece, I think, is is fine. Obviously, the Delia situation and the goaltending situation, the carousel there could have been handled differently. Um, you know, there's some yeah. times where I, where I feel like, yeah, it's fine to declare these are you two guys and roll with it. Um, but then when, you know, the fatigue factor kind of bit Lankin in and Subban wasn't the guy after that then. But I don't know. It's easy to point to the goaltending. So no, I guess I, it just begs the question, like, is, is this the guy that they're going to go with and they're just going to keep building and building and building and have him along for the ride? Or do you just want Jeremy Colleton to be your placeholder and to say, yeah, you can learn on the fly. Maybe you'll be an assistant somewhere else. And when we finally get the guys that we need here, then we're going to be done with you and get a more seasoned coach. Um, because I, you know, I, I still think some, some of the systematic things, you know, the, the David camp taking the face offs and three on three, a little speculative there. Um, I don't know. I don't want to be one of those guys that, that is a coach hater when things don't go very well. But I also think that you've got an Island of misfit toys, right. You know, as far as players, and then you've got the right coach, maybe for them right now, you got a bunch of guys that may or may not make it. You got a coach that may or may not make it. So maybe he is the perfect fit. Wow. All right, Gate. I think I know where you're going to come down, but I'm going to I'm going to go to you. Yeah, I'm not a Colleton fan. I originally I said, you know, cut him some slack. It's not his fault that he had to follow Joel Quenville. Uh, you know, he was just he just you know he's thrown into this scenario. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of him. That being said, I don't know what good it would do to fire him right now. Yeah. Uh, like Andy was saying, like he he's he's just a placeholder right now. I don't think he's he's not going to be your head coach when you're competing for Stanley Cups. He's just kind of a placeholder. He's an in between. Well, they're probably uh, just, dead by so then. they have a coach. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. And it's like, uh, you know, some of his some of his decision making and. Uh, you know, we're going to play the kids at this position, but we're not going to play the kids at this position, or we're going to, you know, lock in on goalies after eight games. Well, why mm. you, was your goal, the playoffs or was your goal? I mean, I, I know it's the goal is to win, but you're here. You've given yourself an excuse to go out there and throw kids out there that are going to make mistakes. Try all three goalies. Like it showed at the end of the year and everyone wanted to dick around and yell and scream at me that Calendelia sucks. And I don't think, it, it, let's look, I don't think he's the number one a goalie of the Chicago Blackhawks, but he could be a backup. 
It could be a useful trade ship, uh, something like that. Did you even check that out? No, you didn't. You just threw him in a box and hit him in the corner because he had a, two bad games, even though he played better than Subban in, in, in those first uh, 10 games. So it made no sense. He started playing favorites, and he plays favorites with David Camp, who played all 56 games this year. David Camp is a fourth-line center. He doesn't need to play all 56 games. There's other people you could have put in that position if you're, you know, you're going to be taking people in and out of the lineup. Hell, put Dylan Strom on the fourth line at center and, and let Camp sit for a, a day. I don't know. I mean, his, his decision-making seems weird. He's branded as his great communicator. He's branded as the great communicator that can't communicate because several times players have said, well, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know, you know, and um, you know, I, I've said it before. I've, I was told by a good source that um, good old Robin Leonard said that uh, Jeremy Calton is the worst coach I have ever played for. And I played for Buffalo. Hmm. What does that tell you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's all, that's all valid. It's all valid. And I, I agree with the placeholder thing. I, I don't think he's the coach when they go to the Stanley cup, our, our good, our good buddy, Jake Martin um, was just asking me on Facebook, you know, why don't, why don't you talk, you know, talk about John Tortorella in 2022. Here's the problem. I don't think Tort- Tortorella wants any part of this. Um, I think that's why he, he unplugged from Columbus because Columbus is heading in this direction. Although Columbus is going into it more, more honestly and more fully than the Hawks are. Um, but I, I don't think that Tortorella wants to come in with a team that's not going to compete and they're not going to compete next year. Um, you know, even if Taves does come back, they're not going to, but um, anyway, Sean, um, Aaron's got his hand raised over there, but we're going to make him wait a few minutes. Sean, go ahead. All right. I, so I don't, Jeremy Colton was supposed to be this. I mean, J, I think Jake Martin wrote an article about this at a different site about how he was like a forward-thinking, futuristic coach, you know, like maybe he was just too innovative for his time. Um, and then he handles the the communication of the Colin Delia, Colin Delia situation poorly. I think, I believe he was the one who put Brent Seabrook in the, uh, ended Brent Seabrook's consecutive game streak and put him up in the skybox. And I, I don't think that was communicated well. I don't think he's as great a communicator as everyone thinks he is. I also, the not pulling play, he said he wasn't going to pull players. And then the next thing you know, Ian Mitchell gets a night off. And then he wouldn't pull goaltenders. And then, oh, I'm going to change my mind and start pulling goaltenders. I didn't like the way he, his messages were communicated out in that regard. I also think... I mean, maybe this is me just personally reading into it too much. I think he's arrogant with no pedigree. Yeah. Like, I think his arrogance and some decisions, there's no pedigree to back it up. Yeah. Like, when Joel Quinville decided he didn't like a guy, he didn't like a guy. Joel Quinville won. Jeremy Colleton has not won anything in the <laughs> NHL. He was a Swedish coach for one year, and I cannot get over the fact that, like, when he makes a decision on somebody, there he writes them off in his book and they're gone. Um, Henrik Yoki Haru is a prime example of that. He Quinville was playing him. Carlton took over. He was sent down and then he was shipped out of town the next year. So I, I'm maybe I just am holding a grudge against Carlton, but I don't, I don't like the way he's going, but to everybody's point, he's the Dennis Savard. If you want to relate it to, he's the Ricky Renteria. He's a guy that's going to get, hopefully he should be developing guys 
to get you ready to when you're ready to win. Then you bring in the experienced veteran coach and then he wins. He's got to be that guy. And I don't see that development right now. I know development's usually not linear as we've heard in other sports. It's usually not linear, but I don't see, I don't see development coming from this guy. I think, I think he's just going to get, he's Stan Bowman's guy. And when they get to a point, they're going to sack them all. Bowman, Colleton, they're all going to go. So that's just my little tirade on it. That was a good tirade, Sean. It was very, very entertaining and quite actually quite compelling. I think you make some really good points. All right, Aaron, what do you think? Colleton, stay or go? First of all, I forgot how much of a tough crowd this is. Oh, <laughs> um, you know, something Andy said, it's just an island of misfit toys as far as personnel. Yeah, so, nice money that, quote, by the way. Something that I'm just wondering, and maybe you guys can answer this, is what identity has Jeremy Colleton created in the locker room for this team? Hmm. Are you a high-octane Toronto Maple Leafs? Is that how you win games? Are you a Columbus or a Predators where you suffocate teams and that how you, that's how you win games? Hmm. I look at the scores you know, around the league almost every day, and the Blackhawks have zero control of, of what that game is going to be, night in, night out. It could be eight to six. It could be two to zero. It could be five to four. It is all over the place. I don't think they know what they're doing. I think they're just trying to get out there and develop guys, do with, do with what they can with what they've got. But in the time that Carlton's been there, I don't get the sense that he's saying, this is what I want to do. This is our strategy. This is how we're going to play. And I don't really think that that's really set in stone. I think it's just kind of the wild west. I mean, what do you guys think? So I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to take it back. Um, you guys have convinced me Colton sucks. He's got to go. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that, um, but I, I still come, what I still come back to is yes, it would be great if he could, you know, implement a style of play. I think the style of play that Colton wants to implement, I think he's actually a little old school philosophically, as far as the X's and O's. I think he'd like to be more of a, uh, you know, frankly, a, a highly structured, really responsible, but also really dynamic team in terms of uh, both defense and offense, like Joel Quinville had. Joel Quinville, I mean, that was his team. It was, it was super well-structured. Um, you know, they were very responsive. If you, could, if you didn't play defense, you were in trouble with Q. And, um, but yet they had that great transition game, you know, lightning transition. And he just, he just implemented it and he fine-tuned it. I think Colton would love to have a system like that. I think that um, I just don't think he's got the personnel. And I, I think that, you know, they had, they've got Patrick Kane, who's a superstar. They have Alex Dabrinkit, who's emerging as a, a very, very, very good NHL player. I won't call him a superstar yet, but he's really good. And then you've got a bunch of guys who are kind of, sort of this or that. And then a bunch of rookies who many of whom should not have been in the NHL this year. So I, again, I listen, I agree. Colin's probably not going to be around in two or three years, or at least he probably shouldn't be if the team progresses. Um, but I'm not sure necessarily that the way he's dealing with some of these guys is bad that, like I said before, I, I think he's, he's sending the tough love message. to Some of these guys, the inconsistency thing, I, I, you know, it's funny. You're right. I hadn't really thought about that, especially vis-a-vis Delia, some of the other guys, but you know, you can change your mind on Ian Mitchell. There's nothing wrong with that. That, that shouldn't be a crime. Um, so um, I don't know. We'll see about that, but so I'm going to move on to the next topic. And, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to dive into the article that um, I wrote today and, and the top, the main topic of it. Um, and it, here's, here's a few facts I want to share with you gentlemen. 
Um, nobody apparently other than us seems to see an issue with how bad the Hawks are five on five. Okay. But the bottom line is if you're not good five on five, if you make the playoffs, you ain't going anywhere because you've got to be good five on five to advance in the playoffs. And you look at the teams that um, are, you know, advanced in the playoffs. They're very good five on five during the regular season. They're also tend to be big, heavy teams in terms of average weight of the players on the roster. The four heaviest teams in the league are Tampa Bay, Vegas, uh, the Islanders, and uh, Washington. Those are all really good teams, especially the first two. Um, you know, and this, there's this old argument that uh, Hawk fans, especially later, later, latter generation Hawk fans, love to make. Well, yeah, but you, you get, the Hawks are a fast team. You can't have those big lug guys around. Guys, no, it's, it's, you need all of that. You need speed. You need size. You need snarl. To be a good five-on-five five team, you have got to be able to compete, compete physically. There's less open real estate on the ice. Uh, you know, you've got to be responsible defensively because the other team has five guys coming at you. These are all things that the Hawks aren't. Um, and, you know, it was really uh, uh, illustrated for me when I went back and I looked at the last four years of the Hawks five on five. 2017-18, they were about 18 goals under five on five. They were bad. They were horrible. Um, the next two years, they were like two or three goals under um, five on five. They were underwater, but just two or three goals. What's interesting is those two years, they had Corey Crawford and Cam Ward one year, and they had Corey Crawford and Robin Leonard the next year. This year, we've got um, Lankinen and Subban, and they are in 56 games, they're 25 goals under five, at five on five. Um, and here's the other thing. Everybody's talking, well, when Taves comes back, everything's going to be magically fixed. Jonathan Taves is going to come riding back in on, our, on a unicorn, and he's going to magically fix everything. Look, here's the thing. Breaking guys. news. Hold on, hold on, wait. Breaking news. Just over the uh, wire. Stan Bowman does not have an update on Jonathan Taves' status for next season. There you go. Continue. Is that for real? Yes, that is real. That just came up on the Twitter machine. Well, at least he's being Scott Powers. Stan Bowman does not have an update on Jonathan Tay's status for next season. So, but, there, you go. know, the, 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 there's the, those in the media who are talking about, well, when Taves comes back, here's what we're going to get back. And, the, you know, Darren Dreger is out there carrying somebody's water and saying, well, you know, if he continues on his current path, um, you know, it's – but here's the thing. Taves was here for three of those four years when they were underwater five on five. Um, and when they had better goaltending, two of those three years, they had better goaltending than they do now. Patrick Kane was here. Alex DeBrinkett was here. There's a systemic problem with this roster. It's not Colleton. It is the roster. It's, it's, it's too soft. It is too perimeter. It's horrible defensively and it's weak down the middle. And I can't understand why more people do not see this as a problem and talk about it. It's like all this, oh, let's talk about Ian Mitchell. And let's talk about Wyatt Kellenock and blah, 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 blah. Guys, that's all, it's all smokescreen. It's all bugs floating in the air. It's, it's meaningless. The, 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 the roster overall is not suited to being a playoff team, much less a good playoff team. is a team that they'll get a lot of goals in three-on-three overtime. They've now got a good power play. But guess what? Five-on-five, five, they suck. And it, it's getting worse. 
It's getting no, but power play isn't even really that good. It was good for a, a handful of games. Yeah. It went out. The, it went out the regular. You know, the second half of the season. It was. It was like probably last in the league. Yeah. Well, they finished overall about tenth. So that's so, just because they started off scoring forty percent of the time. Right. right. No, you're right. It just right. Yeah. It it, it took. The, they were that far ahead yep. that it took all season of them being bad to just get to ninth. Right. It skewed everything. And so did Co- so did Lankinen's really hot start. He must have been awful the last the last two months. But anyway, so I want to talk. His save percentage was under under 900. His save percentage was under 900 for like the last right. since like March 1st, I think. Right. It had to have been because he ended at 909. So anyway, let's talk about this. So so guys, am I am I taking crazy pills here or is there something here to be really, really concerned about? Because. I just don't see a lot of these young guys. Hagel, yes. Suter, sort of. Um, Doc, probably if he continues to grow physically and, and uh, you know, he seems to be a kid who's got an appetite for destruction to a certain degree. I mean, so, so yeah, but, but a lot of these guys, Boquist, Mitchell, uh, you know, uh, Kershev. I mean, it's like, you know, Kane and Debrinkit are not exactly road graders, guys. Dylan Strom is, is just a big wuss. I'm sorry. I mean, it's so, so I, I just, when are people going to wake up and say the, the fundamental make, I think Bowman has acknowledged it when he, he said when, the year that he drafted Doc and he drafted uh, Vlasic, he said, you know what, we've, we've not drafted big players and we have to start doing it. We have to start getting bigger and, and good big players. That was the right thing to say. It was the right thing to do. It was overdue, but it was right. So, but, but my thing is, is everybody's, you know, running around, like, you know, acting like just completely nuts over how great this team is and how bright the future is that if you look at the important things that really matter for a good hockey team, they're not there. They're not there. All right. I'm done with my rant, but I want to, I want to talk about this. Sean. Well, the five on five, they also don't block a lot of shots. I believe they've allowed the most shots in the NHL or near the bottom the last five years. That's not going to be, that's not going to help your five on five numbers. And that's why they're so underwater when it comes to goals against every year. They don't, they don't put their bodies in front of shots. They don't, they give up 30, 30 plus shots a night. It's comical. Uh, I believe, what was it last year, the year before, they gave up 50 shots in a game consecutively. If you're not going to stop people shooting the puck against you five on five, you're not going to be any good five on five. And that's, that's, I think um, been one of their biggest downfalls And because they don't possess the puck five on five at all. Like their puck possession has been, it, it was declining the last year they won the Stanley cup. And ever since then, it's been slowly going down. They don't possess the puck. They give up a lot of shots because they're chasing the puck and it, it's going to result in what we're seeing. A, a not good five on five team. And everybody forgets that like everybody we've, t- we've mentioned a couple of times uh, the, the power play was fat early. And so was Kevin Lincoln. It was all against Detroit and Columbus, like really bad teams. That's why the numbers are all inflated early on this year. It's all regression to the mean. Like when you're good early, you're going to regress towards the mean. And that's who you usually are. There's always some form of regression. So they need, they need guys like, like you said, like they, Stan Bowman finally figured it out that we need to get bigger. These small, quick, fast guys. For whatever reason, I think he thought the NHL was going to transition to speedy little guys, 
Um, it's similar to uh, going to a different sport when Isaiah Thomas drafted two big or put two big guys in the Knicks and thought that he was going to shock the world. Everybody was going fast and he was going to go big. Stan Bowman went the other way. Everybody's going big and skilled. We're going to go small and skilled and it hasn't worked out. I mean, look at the St. Louis Blues when they won the Stanley Cup recently. All their defensemen were big. They were all skilled. All their centers were sturdy, big, and they won faceoffs. That's another thing that nobody's really talked about. Faceoff percentage. I think we're the only ones that talk about it. The Blackhawks don't win enough faceoffs. They're below 50%. You're not going to win five-on-five hockey if you don't possess the puck. In order to possess the puck, you got to win the faceoff. Well, we're the only ones who talk about it because you have Laz going out there telling people that faceoffs don't matter. Yeah, that's like that's like a leadoff hitter doesn't matter. Uh, tell that to the Cubs. Like it does it. This stuff matters. Yeah. This stuff matters. Puck possession is very important. Mr. Especially Campbell, I, you were. You were <laughs> well, I, Mr. I Campbell, honestly, you were just about. To, no, I, where I think I think both organizationally and the common Blackhawk hockey fan, I, I don't think this team is and and people people are going to hold on to the hope as long as there's number two, number 88, and maybe 19 jerseys being sold. Just the the optics around, yeah, these guys have done it before. Yep. They're still kind of in their prime. Maybe Keith is a little bit over the hill. If we can just surround them with some of the players that, that they need, then they're going to still take us to the promised land. Look, I mean, Patrick Kane is going to have highlight reels weekly. I mean, he is going to do Patrick Kane stuff. And and when beauty is to the eye of the beholder, and so you see those things as a fan and you go, oh, they still got Kane though. And the, so they'll get there. He just needs more guys around him. And, you know, those, those fans, they don't pay attention to the contracts. They don't pay attention to the operations. They don't pay attention to, you know, the fact that the Hawks struck gold in back-to-back drafts, getting two generational talents. It just doesn't happen like that right. you just don't right. say let's just get to the next draft and we'll get our guys and we'll just be cup contenders again so one i don't think people know how good they have it and yeah. and two i mean i love patrick kane he's i've said this before he's my favorite blackhawk of all time he has eclipsed dennis savard for me um you know from from my younger years but i i honestly think and and dare i say this but but he is an albatross right now with the rebuilding of this team and we've said it before until you actually rebuild you don't and the organization is still not willing to do that. Now, whether that is Patrick Kane saying, I don't want to leave, or the organization saying, for marketing reasons, we got to keep him around, until you actually go through that rebuild, this is where you're going to be. But as long as those jerseys keep selling and the fans keep buying the dream that we can still win again within a Kane, Taves, you know, um, Keith window then then the t- then the team's just not going to be where they need to be. So I I I went on the uh, I went on the Blackhawks website yesterday and I clicked on you know they're they're auctioning off for for Blackhawks charity they're auctioning off those warm up jerseys they're actually pretty sweet. I mean those jerseys are really really nice. You know those red they wear them for a game. Yeah, right now they've got like eight more days in the bidding. And within, you know, the first you know eight or nine hours of the bidding the Kane jersey's already being bid at 7 grand. And so it just shows you right there. It's like, yeah, they, you know, the people are still buying the brand of yesterday that won them the cups. You are the media and and the media is still buying that. 100% correct. Yeah. That is is it in a nutshell. Yeah. And so it's until they operationally make an actual decision, you know, the common hockey fan is still going to be like, yeah, but Kane, 
What about Kane? What about Keith? What about our guys? We can do it with them again. Sure we can. Right. Where, you know, the supporting cast of those guys when they were also 25 and under at the time. Right. You know, when they were winning all those cups, you know, they're not, not in their thirties. The supporting cast was so dynamic and so seasoned. So good. When we've never been the same since Marion Hosa, you know, we've never been the same, never will be the same. So, you know, I, I just think that we're, we're still, we're, we're going to be forever stuck in neutral as long as those guys are around. And I think it might be as simple as that. Yeah. This could go on for years. Gate five on five play. Am I taking crazy pills? No, I mean, that's the majority of the game is <laughs> five on five. And, uh, you know, you play most of your time out there that way. And if you can't compete with other teams, well, you're not win a lot of games. Uh, and that just went to show when their power play went from scoring 40% of the time to not scoring 40% of the time. And they had to compete with teams five on five. They just couldn't hang in there anymore. They could, they could hang in with Detroit who was bad. Columbus who was struggling. I don't think Columbus is that bad more than they're struggling to find an identity and they're in kind of a transition period, but they played bad against the Blackhawks and it wasn't because the Blackhawks, you know, the Blackhawks go out there and like they did the other day, they score two goals on four shots (laughs) and they're going to expect, and then they got out and they give up 13 shots or whatever. That's not sustainable. You can't win that way. You can't play NHL hockey. It's going to, you know, it, they probably, got all their lucky, you know, all their luck out of their system early on by doing that, Uh, you know, just betting on that power play to score almost every single time, or you score on 50% of the shots you take and hope your goalie stands on his head for the entire game. And you can, you know, he, he can make 40 or 50 saves or something like that. None of that is sustainable. You can't play like that. And, you know, they've been around, the uh, same mark for the past four years, the 77 near you know, 74, 77, 80 points. They would have, they were on a pace this year to get 80 points. And so they're not moving up They're Like Andy said, they're sitting in neutral and they're doing the same thing every year. And no matter how they do it, start off hot or end hot or whatever the, yeah. the, the end of the line and what the results are is 80 points and not getting in the playoffs. Right. And it's because your team, for a majority of the game, because you're only getting what two, three power plays a game. So for, you know, uh, 56 minutes or 54 minutes of your game, you're not competing against the opponent, hoping that one of your three shots in the period goes into the net. Come on, man. Did the math, the the probabilities, all the averages are going to tell you that you can't sustain that. And that's not going to be long-term success. You need to do something and you need to get better five on five while you're out, you know, for a majority of your playing time out there. So, yeah, I, yeah, this, these are all great points. And Andy, I mean, I'm going to come back to what you said, and I know you got to jump off, but I, I think, you know, they really are They're They're trying to sell the future based upon the brand of the past. And it's really <laughs> a, uh, it's really a high wire act. I mean, there's, there's this equation that's going around um, the Twitterverse that I see every once in a while. And I just, whenever I read it, I go, do you really believe that? And that is, it goes like this. These young guys are, are exciting. They're going to get better. They're all going to get better apparently. And they're all going to be great when they get better. 
Um, and then, you know, Taves is going to be back. That's the other, like, uh, probably a pipe dream. And then, you know, Kane and Keith are still here and Cat's becoming great, et cetera. But guys, for all of those things to happen, for, for these young players to mature into Dustin Bufflin's and um, Dave Boland's and, um, uh, <laughs> you know, there was just such a huge supporting cast that they had in those cup years that was so good. It's highly unlikely, actually. Um, and you just don't have those, those truly elite players in their prime anymore. You have Patrick Kane. You have Alex Debrinkin, who's becoming a really good player. I wouldn't call him elite. Um, and that's it. The, Duncan Keith's getting old. The scouts are saying he, they got to cut his minutes. After that, you got a bunch of question marks. Um, or you got one-dimensional guys like Dylan Strom, you know. And uh, I, and it, the bottom line is, you know, we can – It's all, all this is qualitative, what I'm talking about. But the numbers you see, you know, when they give up the most high-danger goals – five on five in the league this year, <laughs> or no, the most high danger shots. They were second behind Anaheim by one goal in high danger goals. So that means the defense was terrible and the goaltending was just a wee bit better than terrible. <laughs> it was you know? the same stuff last year. It was the same stuff the year before it was yeah. same exact thing. High yeah. danger stuff. They were giving yeah. up all that high danger stuff in shots. Yeah. And but when you've got Robin Leonard and Corey Crawford and Crawford was still playing well last year before he had to retire, um, but when you got those guys, you can hide that. And Crawford hit it for a number of years. I mean, guys, this goes back years. This is not like a recent thing or like, oh, they're just playing a bunch of rookies. No, they've been a bad five on five team for at least four years. And that was with, that was with Taves most of those years, you know? So I, I it's like, I just want to know what Stan Bowman is going to do to address this. Please don't tell me he doesn't know this. Don't tell me Jeremy Colton doesn't know this. They know it. But the thing is, if you're going to run around and do sit downs and talk about how great Ian Mitchell is, you know, I mean, it just says you're not serious. You're just you're just blowing smoke up people's asses. So I'm hopeful because, I mean, they, they've got a lot. Somebody else said it and I'll say it again. They have a lot of work to do this summer. If they're going to really be, if they're going to really contend for the playoffs, much less get anywhere in the playoffs in the next year or two, they got a lot of work to do. Anybody else? What do you guys think? I'm, I've been talking. You know, I one thing one thing I do want to I, I do want to show a little appreciation for Alex DeBrinket. Yeah, I know sure. we're brand, I'm I'm specifically branded as the DeBrinket hater, but he's had a phenomenal season. He was on pace for you know fifty goals. If this was a an eighty two game season, Alex DeBrinket would have had fifty goals. So I mean, that's great. That's what he needed to do. This is what we wanted. Yeah. Was pointing out prior to the season that yep. you know if he had gone 18 months without with you know with his production cut in half it wasn't because i wanted his production to stay cut in half and i was okay with that it's because i wanted it to get better and yep. it got better yep. so i want to show that but the one thing i'm worried about with alex to bring it and now you know correct me if i'm wrong here but it, it's the way this franchise is going and how slow it's moving with this quote-unquote rebuild I'm afraid that Alex DeBrinket is going to turn into what Tony Amante mm. ended up being for the Blackhawks. The one guy that can actually score who's pretty good. He's not elite, but he's really good. And he's wasted on a team that can't compete anymore because they had nothing after they traded Bell for and Roenick and Chelios and all those good players left. 
Tony Amante was the only one left. And that was the start of the dark years. Yeah. And it would be a shame if you're then ruining Alex DeBrinkett's, you know, day in the, in the spotlight or his period in the spotlight, his window by being just a bad team, because you refuse to acknowledge that you need to hurry up and get some supporting cast in there. If you want to be able to compete while Kane is still here for the next two years, while Keith is still here for the next two years. So, I mean, that was just something I was thinking about. Well, yeah. And I don't want, I don't want what, I don't want Alex to bring it to get the Brandon Saad treatment where they feel like that. Okay. Maybe they overpay some of these younger guys that they have. They overvalue them. And then Alex to bring it is the, it's the only asset you have and you have to move him to re-sign younger guys that aren't worth it. Like what they did with Brandon Saad. I don't want that to happen to Alex to bring it either. I think that would be tragic. Um, and I do, I agree with you, Gate. Like he was, he was awesome this year. Like JJ keeps saying he's not a superstar yet, but he's turning into a star. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like he's like, he's uh, when you watch the national shows, they talk about him. Like yep. they, and Mark Lazarus said that the 50 goal pace, like I, even Ray Nampientek, who has not been the biggest Alex fan said that at one point he might've been underpaid this year at 6 million. Yeah. With his, with his production. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the big things like we've, we've been, I've been entirely negative and rightfully so, but Alex Debrinkit is one of the, the lone bright spots this season. Like he, his play has been exceptional. Yeah. And I want to jump in on this too, because I was, we're right there with the gate. I mean, my thing was, if he's not scoring goals, he might as well not be playing because he doesn't do anything else, but he's changed that narrative. I mean, and I give him, super high marks for it. I mean, he's become a pretty good player away from the puck and that's through hard work. And he'd love to see it because frankly, whatever he's drinking, buy a case of it for Dylan Stroll, you know, uh, buy, you know, buy a case of it for Ian Mitchell, buy a case of it for uh, Boquist. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I just, I just love guys like that who are willing to pay the price and willing to step out of their comfort zone and do the hard work because hockey is a hard game. To be good at hockey is hard. You got to be. You got to be committed. And I think I think DeBrinket's done it. And um, to his to his credit. And again, I, I don't know that yet. You're right. I mean, and I, I always said his high end when he first came in. I, th- I thought his high end might be a Luke Robitaille type type of player. And I'll still go there. Luke Robitaille was a great player, you know. But he was a, he was a scorer, you know. And I think DeBrinket actually can do a little more than that. Um, he's, he's becoming a really nice player. So, uh, we'll revisit his, his eliteness or non-eliteness next year. See, you know, see where he goes. But, uh, um, yeah, I think that was a good, that was a good idea gate to bring that up. Now our, our friend troll has had his hand raised patiently for some time now, and, uh, we're going to allow Aaron to jump in. And that's, I think going to be our, uh, our last, um, our last comment of the evening, Aaron. Thank you, JJ. I think that <laughs> I think that Sean said something really relevant about big teams like St. Louis and Washington and physicality. I don't know if you guys follow the uh, hockey fights account on Twitter or on Instagram, but fighting is up, guys. It is way up. Physicality is way up, and you watch it. You watch a game um, like the Abs in Vegas last night. Oh man, it's just those guys are pummeling each other and it's regular season. 
and you know you go to the eastern conference and you got rangers and washington and there's the line brawls like the hawks can't hang with that right now they're not built that way and there's no question to me that the rangers are going to go out in the offseason grab some sort of guy like zach ronaldo put him in the lineup uh just like old school times where you have to throw that guy on the ice every time tom wilson's out there and i think that once the Hawks get back into their normal central division, they're going to need something like that too. Because guess what? If someone like Tom Wilson or, I don't know, somebody in that division on the stars takes a run at Alex to who takes care of that? Tell me. Yeah. I, Aaron, you make a good point, but I want to be really clear about something. I, I, Cause I've been like, I mean, literally for the last 15 years, I've been like the guy screaming about physical hockey and people always go to, yeah, well, fighting's out of the game. And I, I don't disagree with you. It's been an interesting, been an interesting resurgence in that kind of stuff and sort of the players taking care of things on the ice, largely because the NHL refuses to do it, which is really disappointing. But I, I would be fine if I never saw a hot player fight, as long as I saw hot players going into the corners and coming out with the puck and doing what it takes to do it. And that kind of physicality or blocking shots like Sean talked about, or, you know, clearing the front of the net um, and, and, you know, tying up big players and moving them off the doorstep. These are things they have not done for years. And these are the things that doesn't mean fighting, doesn't mean running around for big hits. Um, doesn't, you know, it, but buddy, these are the things that winning teams do in the NHL and especially in the playoffs. And so I just want to make sure that we're, that we're really clear on that. We're not talking about fighting. We're not talking about bringing back Bob Probert. <laughs> you know, or Stu Grimson or, you know, whoever, um, uh, Neil Crowder or whatever his name was. I mean, um, it, but the physic, the physical element of actual hockey as, you know, played within the rules, um, that's, that's what's missing from this team, in my opinion. So, but it was yeah, a good I think, comment regardless. I, I think, yeah, I think my point is that it's becoming more physical again. And yeah, sure. You have Kale McCarr, you have Quinn Hughes, you got these small dudes, but it's not all just small guys. It's it's really heavy these days, and I don't think they're built for that. And five on five, especially, you have to work a lot harder to get goals today. Yeah, and it's they're turning that corner again, where it's faster, more physical, more guys are getting hurt. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. It is faster, but it's also bigger. I mean, guys like Alex Took and and uh, you know half of Washington's roster, Vegas. I mean. Uh, you know, th- there's some really big dudes who can play hockey, you know, uh, there's St. Louis's D those guys are all big, you know, and, and, uh, um, Mark they Stone. Play, you know, um, so anyway, all right. You, anybody got any last minute thoughts, comments, plugs, hair plugs? What do you got? Can I see that hoodie again? Yes. It's so wow, sweet. that looks so nice. It's so sweet. I love it, and it fits great for now until I wash it. I may have to uh, invest in one of those, Aaron, because, you know, I own the rink. Uh, my wife and I actually both own rink sweatshirts. Uh, Is she that another co- one? She actually Look accused me of taking hers the other day. There so um, I may have to invest in one of those just to support the brand. Not here you go. Look. It looks like gate turn is into a throw blanket. <laughs> I just wasn't wearing it. I just grabbed it from the other likes, room. He's a little chilled. He wanted to show comfort her. He needs, he needs it to comfort himself when he thinks about the Hawks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, all right, well, we're going to wrap this thing up folks. 
patronize our sponsors, our founding sponsors, puckhockey.com, P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y. Use that, uh, the rink, T-H-E-R-I-N-K discount code for 10% off. Get some of the rink gear. Gates uh, modeling a rink hat tonight, this evening. I am modeling um, a flat rim from the Marion Hosa collection at Puck Hockey. Um, and I here have the rink flat brims kind of from i'm not a flat brim guy but it, i think it kind of works for him. either my who am i kidding um anyway um but uh definitely check those guys out even though they didn't they missed the bus on our cool rink colorado hoodies so we took care of that ourselves that's all right that's how we roll um thank you to uh, all of you for joining us uh, on the show and, and listening whether it's on uh, the social media platforms um uh, itunes uh, Facebook Live, what have you. Gate will uh, do the magic that he does and make sure that it's all out there and available for you guys. Um, thank you all for uh, sticking with us. We've, uh, you know, we kind of uh, have changed our, our uh, podcast lineup this year. We've got more shows now. We've got Seattle, we've got Colorado. Um, and uh, then we had a regular crew doing Chicago. It's been a lot of fun this year. Um, and we're looking forward to next year um, as well. Um, and we really, you know, we've enjoyed the questions you guys have sent in the feedback we've gotten on the show. Um, sounds like you guys like it. Um, so we'll keep bringing it, you know, um, gate, you got anything? No, just the same old stuff. Uh, the Seattle Kraken, uh, Rinkast is going to probably get a, a little more busy, uh, with things go- happening and the expansion draft coming up and I'll probably be writing more about the Kraken and stuff like that. There hasn't really been a whole lot right now to write about but it will be coming soon so uh, we'll get together with that and i'm sure a lot of you gentlemen will be joining the kraken uh kraken hostel cast to talk a little bit about that as well to kind of cleanse the palate a little bit as far as the black sometimes you talk about the same thing over and over and over again it gets a little bit old sometimes it's nice to talk about uh you know other things outside of our little blackhawks bubble so uh that being said uh we also want to give a little bit of shout out to julia nakach uh, i don't know if you guys did that before but She's uh, doing social media in Denver now. Uh, she was, you know, a big part of our team here. And we want to give her our congratulations about her yeah. with her new position out there. So uh, I, I, I want to make sure we don't miss that part too. Yeah, Juliana is a very, very smart person and very capable and has a very, very bright future ahead of her. And we're proud to have had her here at the rink. Um, I want to also take this opportunity to thank Sean and thank Andy and thank the other, the third member of the Usual Suspects who has been around for a while. Um, and I'm deeply disappointed in, in him for that. Just kidding. Uh, Ray Napientek, uh, you guys really helped make this show great this year. And I really appreciate it. And I want to thank our, our other special guest tonight, uh, Troll, a.k.a. Aaron Goldschmidt from the Ring Colorado for joining us tonight. He's always welcome as well. So uh, thank you, Aaron. And uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moms and dads, uh, we will see you next time on the Ring.